Welcome back to the Cool Stuff Ride Home Podcast. My name is Marcus Papp, joined by Reggie Rizzo, and we're here to give you our take on this popular daily podcast. Of course, you all know Jackson Bird did an amazing job building this show up over the last couple of years, bringing you some of the most interesting and in many cases, lighter-hearted stories of the day. The format with Reggie and I won't be exactly the same, but certainly similar as we look to educate, inform, and of course, above all other things, entertain with each story we discuss. Hopefully, you'll pick up on something interesting to bring to your friends and or co-workers throughout the day as well. A few of the topics that we will be discussing today, the latest Picasso painting to be sold, Google will be deleting some inactive accounts, and the Toy Hall of Fame inductees have been announced. That along with a few other stories and a look at this date in history. A Picasso painting was just sold for more than $139 million at an auction at Sotheby's in New York. When it comes to a Picasso painting, it is actually the second highest price that was ever paid. Excuse my French here, as I do not speak French very well. Femme a la Munta, uh, which means woman in watch or woman with a watch, was expected to sell for about $120 million. It was part of a collection uh, worth over $400 million that belonged to Emily Fisher Landau. She passed in March at the age of 102. Uh, After her passing, they decided to put up the large art collection up for auction. Now, Woman with a Watch was made in 1932 and is a portrait of Picasso's lover, Marie-Therese Walter. In the painting, she's seated on a throne-like chair against a blue background. The wristwatch, which is the focus of the piece in the painting, is also found in another piece of artwork that Picasso made of his wife, Russian-Ukrainian ballerina Olga Okolov. Supposedly, Ms. Walter was 17 years old when she met the 45-year-old Picasso in Paris, and the two uh, started a secret relationship shortly after that, while he was still married. Walter is also the subject of several other artworks from Picasso, including a 1932 painting, Femme Nu Couche, which sold for $67.5 million at auction in 2022. The highest price for Picasso painting came in 2015, his La Femme d'Alger, which uh, sold for $179 million. Now, you're probably wondering, that's a lot of money for a painting. What is the most that has ever been paid for a painting? Well, the most expensive painting ever sold at auction was the Salvador Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci. That one fetched $450 million in 2017 to an anonymous buyer. Reggie, I would love to be someone who had $450 million just lying around to the point that I could spend that on a painting. Um, Not something that most of us are ever going to realize in our lifetime, but certainly a cool story to see that Picasso is as popular as he ever was. If I had $450 million, I'd probably just go to the gift shop at the museum, buy a replica, put that on the wall, and keep the rest of the money. (laughs) You'd have the world's cheapest Picasso collection (laughs) at your house, curated uh, specifically for you. Yeah, that's uh, that's one way to go, certainly, and, and keep that money in your bank account. Well, Google plans to start deleting inactive Gmail accounts beginning December 1st. This per a report from PC Mag. The news was actually announced earlier this year, but now we're, of course, closing in on the actual deadline to save anything that you may have forgotten about or simply chose to ignore over the last few months or years. Uh, knowing your digital belongings were safely stashed there. I know I certainly have a number of email accounts that I've created over the years for various purposes. And 
will use them from time to time, but often forget about them for months on end. So what constitutes an inactive account to Google? That would be one that hasn't been used within a two-year period, so a pretty lengthy amount of time. Google reportedly considers actions like signing in, reading or sending an email, using Google Drive, watching a YouTube video, sharing photos, downloading an app, and searching while signed in to be quote-unquote activities. So keep in mind, this isn't just about an old email address that you no longer pay attention to. I know I said Gmail at the top of this story, but it also includes documents, photos, and other files you might have saved to your Google Drive. So if you haven't logged in or done anything with that account in a couple of years, Google will deem it inactive and you are at risk of losing anything that you have saved there. This policy, by the way, only applies to personal accounts, not those tied to an employer, school, or other organization. So December 1st, we said that's the date. At that point, Google may delete the account's content and data. And as was pointed out in a recent Forbes article, this includes Google Photos, Google Calendar events, Google Docs and emails, everything that I just mentioned a moment ago. Beforehand, Google will send notifications to that dead account or that inactive account, I should say, and a recovery email if there is one on file. But if you have stuff out there that you may value, but have sort of forgotten about over the last couple of months and years, this would be a good time to go back in and take a look at that just to ensure you're not losing something of value to yourself. You know, like you, I have several Google accounts or other email accounts, mostly to try to get, uh, you know, the cheaper services for your streaming <laughs> or you know whatever get those free accounts you know you got to have so many accounts you got to rotate them to keep getting the, the the trial periods for those you're outing yourself on this show reggie that's not... i'm outing myself as a cheap individual that is fine <laughs> fair enough yeah I, I i think we all like to have certain accounts that we send uh, junk mail to and or promotional email as opposed to cluttering our traditional or preferred inbox. So definitely have a few of those myself. And then as you pointed out, uh, at times when you want to create accounts for different services that you utilize, it's nice to have something dedicated to that. But if you did go out of your way to store something there of value, make sure you're checking in on that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's that time of year again where the Toy Hall of Fame announced their inductees for the year. Baseball cards, Cabbage Patch Kids, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Battleship, Choose Your Own Adventure Books, Nerf, and the Fisher-Price Corn Popper have all been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, that Corn Popper, I don't know if you remember that toy, Marcus. It's the, the one with the wheels, and you push it, and then what pop, 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 is like a little ball. Oh, okay. I was wondering what on earth that was now that you describe it. Yes, I do yeah. recall that. That one was chosen by popular vote in the special field of the Forgotten Five Toys, which I do have to say, it doesn't matter what age you are, what era you came from, little kids always loved that toy. So it makes sense to me that that, that one finally got in. What was it supposed to be? A vacuum cleaner? Or... It, it, it kind of changed. I think they called it the corn popper just because it kind of popped. I think there were a few of them that made it look like a vacuum cleaner. They changed over the years. But the basic one was just 
wheels and things popping. That's all it really was. Fair enough. Entertainment for kids. Popping yeah. noises while you push a lawnmower-like object. Now, the vice president for the collections and chief curator at the museum uh, for the Toy Hall of Fame, Christopher Bench, said each toy inducted this year brings their own unique form of play. Uh, quote, baseball cards encourage lifelong playing and collection. Cabbage Patch Kids continue to encourage imagination and storytelling for kids. The Fisher-Price Corn Popper, which was a forgotten finalist no longer, is a great activity for toddlers. And Nerf toys were designed for indoor and outdoor activity, and they often find kids and grown-ups playing together, end quote. Yeah, on a personal note, I was all about the baseball cards growing up, as well as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I do recall playing Battleship quite a bit with yep. friends and family as well. So I'd, I'd say those are probably the three that resonate most with me here. I have to say this is a good, solid collection. I remember talking about the story five, ten years ago, and one of the options was the stick. You know, that you find outside falling off a tree. One of the inductees was the stick. So I'd of... say you're scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> if the stick constitutes or qualifies as a toy. You know, so I think this is a good, solid collection for this year. If you've ever driven around New York City, you know people will on occasion make decisions in their car that probably wouldn't fly in a lot of other places. That includes all varieties of illegal parking, stopping, and standing. You can find any number of vehicles that stop right in the middle of a street in NYC and throw on their flashers, assuming that solves the problem for everyone else. Well, it appears one group of New Yorkers had had enough of that, at least on this particular day. A video recently posted to Instagram by Reddit shows a collective of New Yorkers coming together to, shall we say, relocate? an illegally parked car to create space for a bus, a city bus to pass. The caption of the post held them as quote unquote, everyday heroes, emphasizing that their act to lift the illegally parked car and clear the path for a Metro bus was as indicated heroic. The footage showcases several individuals, approximately eight to 10 of them by my count, standing around the car before lifting and shifting it securing a path for the bus to operate no word on where specifically this took place and of course you can't believe everything that you see on the internet but this is one of those stories that i just want to believe in because we've all been there especially if you're a new yorker where you see a car parked in the street flashers are on and now you have to go out of your way to try to figure out how the heck am i going to get around this person and continue about my day well not only are they disrupting us as individuals but a city bus with a job to do and places to be uh it all reminds me of the famed seinfeld episode where george is stuck in by a double part car reggie i've only seen this happen once and i did not take part of it um it was not for a good deed it was done in high school to be mean to somebody they took somebody's car and turned it sideways so they couldn't get out of the parking lot uh, <laughs> oh jeez so it was not for a good deed, but I have seen it done before. Yeah, well, I think in this case, uh, most people would agree this is the, the right move to make. And as far as I could tell, it didn't look like there was any damage done to the car. So hopefully uh, all is well that ends well and the bus can go about on its merry way. And of course, this is the risk you run if you're going to park illegally like that and inconvenience others from going about their day. Staying in New York, American actor and musician Jared Leto made history as the first individual to ascend the 102-story Empire State Building 
and he did so legally. Now, as many people already know, the Empire State Building was once the world's tallest building at 1,250 feet high, 1,454 feet high if you take the antenna at the top into account. The building was designed by Shreve Lamb and Harmon, built from 1930 to 1931, and was the tallest in the world until the first World Trade Center tower was topped out in 1970. The achievement was not just a personal triumph for Leto, but a strategic move, go figure, to generate excitement for his band's upcoming fourth world tour that's set to begin in March of 2024. So I guess it had the intended effect. Leto's band 32nd to Mars has undergone a few lineup changes since its inception in the late 90s, but he and his brother, Shannon Leto, remain the two staples of that group. Their 2024 Seasons Tour will take an extensive run across Latin America, Europe, and North America, Australia, and New Zealand, marking their, as we said, first headline tour in several years. Leto, of course, is also an Oscar winner for Best Supporting Actor in the 2014 film Dallas Buyers Club. Reggie, I can think of a lot of ways to generate or drum up publicity. I'm not sure climbing a 102-story building would be at the top of my list. Not because it doesn't generate interest. Certainly it does. We're here talking about it. But I cannot imagine myself doing that and not being absolutely scared to death by the time I reached, I don't know, maybe the eighth floor. Yeah, I, I think my first question that came to mind was, why? I mean, <laughs> again, well, I can think of other things to generate. So why? I mean, if you, if you were a Spider-Man actor promoting a Spider-Man film, I could see this maybe this stunt maybe working in your favor. I don't know how it relates to the album or the tour at all. Well, I'd also like to see what's the approval process like for this. Do you go to the city and say, hey, look, I need to drum up support for my upcoming tour. I want to climb the second tallest building in town. Are you cool with that? And what sort of forms do I need to fill out? That's certainly got to be a lot of liability on someone. When, yeah, I, when I don't think they let test. just anybody climb the Empire State Building. <laughs> so if you and I applied or asked, it's unlikely <laughs> that that request would be granted. What if we wanted to drum up promotional support for this show? Well, then we could climb the Empire State Building and probably get maybe, what, 10, 20 feet up and then quit? Yeah, I think I'm more likely to climb a building somewhere in the 8 to 10 story range and see what kind of interest that drums up. All right, we're going to do a little special feature each and every day. Uh, take a look back at this date in history. So on November 13th, 1940, Disney's animated feature Fantasia was released to moviegoers in the U.S. Over 1,000 artists and technicians were used in the making of the film, which features more than 500 animated characters. The film has eight animated segments set to pieces of classical music, and if you didn't know, seven of those pieces were performed by the Philadelphia Orchestra. The movie was the first commercial film shown in stereo. The film was, you know, acclaimed by critics, but a couple things prevented the movie from making money. World War II made it so the distribution of the European market was cut off. Also, they introduced a new sound feature, Fantasound. Now, the large production cost of Fantasound, it was a pioneering system for the time, developed by Disney and RCA. That helped prevent the movie from making a profit. However... The movie's done pretty well since then. It is now the 23rd highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. Yeah, I was going to say, Reggie, I have to believe that the uh, revenues have continued to pour in over the decades since that movie was released. And if you think about it, 1940 and where we were at from a motion picture standpoint, to have something like this released at that time, it's still 
a, a miraculous work to look at if you ever pull up Fantasia and watch it from start to finish. But in 1940, this had to have been an absolute marvel for people that were were able to go and, and take it in because the animation at that time, as we know, not as advanced as it is today. Of course, you have things like Pixar out there that have taken it to new levels. But Fantasia was really a signature moment in the history of not only animated film, but film in general. Yeah, and the sound was on unmatched that time. So you go to the theater and you hear that stereo sound for the first time. It was something new for the audiences to hear. Absolutely, I'm sure an, an absolutely thrilling experience for folks in 1940. That'll do it for this edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Reggie Rizzo along with Marcus Paff. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>